Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. You are intelligent. You make all the right decisions. You were smart before smart was cool, and you made it cool again. You have a wealth of knowledge, and you are so very clever. <laughs> I bet you already knew I was going to say that, you genius. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better when you hear you could save big when you switch to progressive. But I'm pretty sure you already knew that, too. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. HD Smartcast. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. I'm back after the lockdown break, and today I'm speaking to Ida Mukoti, author of Akbar, the Great Mughal, a new biography of one of the greatest rulers India's ever had. His great military successes, his dynamism when it came to the encouragement of the arts, literature, architecture, and cultural life in general, and most of all, his attempts to rule a diverse nation and to understand its many belief systems and people makes him a truly remarkable monarch. Um, ahead of his time, which is why we're still fascinated with him. You know, and that's what we're going to talk about and um, also look at why it is that his ideas are of continuing relevance to this nation today. So, Ira, how come you decided to, you know, do this book? Because Akbar is you know, one of those great heroes. And I'm wondering why more people haven't written about him. Thank you, Manjula, for having me here today. Very exciting to be part of this new format. So, Akbar, you know, I, my last two books uh, did uh, deal with the, the, you know, the Mughals in, in an indirect way, perhaps. Uh, and Akbar is that mm. figure that you are drawn to, you know, no matter what, because he is so extraordinary. He shaped the empire to such a great extent. Um, and actually, there haven't me- been uh, very many um, uh, full-length biographies of Akbar, you know, in, in mm. the 21st century, really. And it is if you compare that to his exact contemporary, for example, Elizabeth I in uh, in England, yeah. uh, she has had hundreds of biographies written mm. about her, you know, ever since her reign. And apparently there's one book every year on her, some mm. aspect of her, her reign. So, you know, that mm. is quite extraordinary. And if you think about it, I'm sure you and I are perhaps more conversant with Elizabeth I through movies, through plays, through books, through yes. TV series than we are, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I just thought, okay, one of the greatest empires on earth, the Mughal Empire, one of the greatest um, monarch within that empire, surely he's worth taking a new look at. And Mm -hmm. especially if you think, Manjula, that actually, uh, you know, we think of history as static, that we have all the information, it is there, it is eternal and unchanging. Hmm. But that's really not, uh, you know, not true. The information that uh, artists, for example, art historians, when they're looking at miniature paintings, they have come up with so many new things in the past uh, few decades. So I thought it would be interesting to use uh, miniature paintings in my book as well to, you know, to, to bring out the story in greater detail. Uh, another thing that you can look at is archaeology, like somebody like uh, Professor Rezavi has been doing work on Fatehpur Sikri and the Ibadat Khana and different areas of Fatehpur Sikri, mm. which still today continue to be completely wrongly denominated as Birbal's house, you know, Mary's house, all kinds of wrong uh, nomenclatures are used. So I thought, why not use archaeology, wall paintings, which he brought out as well to bring us uh, so much more detail about how, uh, you know, these people live their lives mm. and the work of 
say feminist historians like Ruby Lal as well. She, you know, she has been very influential on my work, and I thought, why not continue with that mm-hmm. and write the story, yes, of a great man, but within his setting, with all the other men and women around him as well. So I've tried to bring out as many women as I could who influenced him as well. There were many, right? There were many, exactly, you know, because of his, uh, because his life, you know, his career spanned 50 years. And uh, so many of the older ladies, the matriarchs, had very long lives and lived with him, some of them uh, till two to three years before his death. So we have Gulbadan Begum, yes. you know, Hamida Banu Begum, Salima Sultan Begum, all these very powerful matriarchs, uh, which we have begun to understand, you know, the influence of these Timurid matriarchs were there. There were his, uh, you know, his wives, there were his milk mothers who were very, mm-hmm. very influential and we tend to forget that. Yes. Uh, they were influential sometimes through their, the careers of their sons, maybe because they themselves were not able to, you know, be uh, active in the way that the men were able to. So we see that I've studied uh, the career of Aziz Koka, keeping in mind his mother, you know, Gigi Anga, because Akbar was so very fond of this uh, lady that uh, till the end of his uh, life, he allowed Aziz Koka to get away with some terrible misbehaviors and, uh, you know, absolutely uh, outrageous kind of behavior because of his great love for his mother, Gigi Anga. Yeah. Okay. And also, you know, I I like how you've got strands from everywhere you know you you the reader learns about the food served at the court the architectural styles and of course uh, akbar's constant you know quest for the truth and yeah. you know, philosophy and religion and yeah. also the the battles you know you've gotten a, a lot of stuff but it, it isn't difficult to read. It isn't, right. you know, it is, it's easy to read and you can, unlike an academic tome, which will kind of right. put you to sleep by page. <laughs> you know? So how do you achieve that? Yeah, well, you know, the academics have a different, um, you know, end in mind. They write mostly for their peers and, you know, they are following a very particular line of inquiry, which they have gone to in great depth. Yes. Um, you know, so that that is completely a different style of studying and, and transmitting your knowledge across. Now, I'm primarily, uh, you know, writing for a lay public. That has mm-hmm. always been um, my intention, that I want to get these stories um, in all their complexity and nuance to, to a lay public who may not know many of these things because the way we are taught history you know in at least in the school level mm. is very much this bullet point style I find yes, you know so you, yeah. you are told events and happenings and dates but they seem to be somehow uh, unconnected from each other they seem to be there in isolation and you don't you don't see the uh, you know the, the the organic sort of uh, world which was there which led to these interactions and I think uh, that's a shame because uh, you know the past uh, informs our present and if we don't understand these various threads then we are sort of you know we're suffering from like collective amnesia we don't know where we come from where the food is coming from why we mm. speak certain languages why we've forgotten those languages uh, so this was something that I, I you know as you point out I really wanted to do so I went into very wide reading you know as you've pointed out so I've even gone into gone into the food history into the history of Rajasthani cuisine because since obviously there were Rajputs at court I figured that would also influence uh, you know the Pacha and the, the creation of, of Mughal etiquette 
So I read about that. I read about uh, you know texture, textiles, and the clothes. Um, about individual uh, regions, so you know Rajput history, the various clans. Uh, so, for example, one fascinating uh, you know uh, nugget I found, which I I found personally just uh, wonderful to read about, was that when uh, his uh, great courtier Raja Man Singh, his mm. nephew, who was a very successful general, he was finally sent off to Bengal, you know, to subdue um, that region, which was creating a lot of trouble, and Raja Man. Singh says that he had a, a, a sort of a dream, a vision almost, in which uh, Raja Jessor, whom he was fighting against, he had this uh, deity, uh, Sila Mata. Mm. So in his dream, uh, Raja Man Singh said he, he saw this Sila Mata goddess, the idol of it, at the bottom of the river, and he went and he uh, sort of rescued this, the you know, the image. So when he woke up, he interpreted it as being that when he, he would defeat Ra- the Raja Jessor, and so not only did he go ahead and defeat him, but then he took his uh, his goddess, Sila Mata, and brought it back to Amer. So, you know, he does this incredibly powerful thing, which is not only remove the Raja's, uh, you know, power and strength, but he removes his protective goddess. And he brings it to Amer where it is uh, still there today. But not only does he bring the goddess, but he figures that she has to be uh, worshipped in the way that she has been accustomed to. So he brings back um, Bengali Brahmins oh. from Bengal to Jaipur, uh, which is today Jaipur, of course, and that explains present-day populations of Bengalis to some extent, which I find something uh, you know which is so fascinating. Fascinating, and yeah. yeah. And there are even Afghans uh, in Jaipur because uh, later on Raja Man Singh also went to the northwest uh, frontier and fought very successfully against the Afghans there. And so there are populations today that we can explain, you know, in this town of Rajasthan through uh, you know 400 years ago campaign of one. Uh, courtier which is which is quite fun really yeah yeah it's quite fun to read as well and you know in some of the sections like especially the food section where you're talking about the food served at court my mouth is watering I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was very fun to to write about, you know. And um, I had met the the food writer and blogger Mariam Rishi some time ago, and she had said, "You are writing about Akbar. That's marvelous. Please make sure you write a lot about food in it as well." You know. So <laughs> I kept that in mind, and I thought it, it's something that is always fascinating to us in any way because it's part of our life even today. You know. So we like to see, we like to fight over biryani. Even today, you know, yeah. who has the right to make it and who cannot and in what form. So it, it's interesting to look at the, uh, you know, the places that they came from. And I love that, uh, the, the the para about the, the Gujarati Thali, you know, wow. I, I wrote. Yes, yeah. you said that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just uh, put that in there because I came across uh, this description of... Um, such an elaborate meal that the Gujaratis were having at that time that it was actually, you know, quite I was taken aback at the number of courses and the fried items and then yet more, you know, drinks in the middle. And so I thought it would be interesting for people to read about as well. Yes. And also, you know, um, uh, despite the fact of Akbar being such a great warrior and, you know, such a brave, like brave man, really yes. putting himself in the way of danger and right. physically um, very out there. I maybe most rulers, you know, that one one doesn't think of an emperor as being at the forefront. Absolutely. Whereas he was like that. So, but also fascinating is the way he treated his sons. Yes. Which I found a bit sad. (laughs) It is. 
it is. I think um, if we look at this in uh, through the filters of our current, uh, you know, styles of parenting with our kind of, you know, helicopter parenting mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing, then these rulers of the past would definitely fall short. But we have to keep in mind that that was very much, uh, you know, the way, especially in which the Timurids uh, raised their sons, because, mm-hmm. you know, as I made the point that they have no law, they had no law of primogenitor. It wasn't the case where the eldest would automatically rule after the death of the father. It was a system of co-sovereignty amongst princes and they had uh, territories which they ruled as chieftains, you know, before the before the death of their fathers. And mm-hmm. then they could make a claim to rule any of them, you know, which is why later on in the empire, we, saw, we see so much bloodshed at the time of, you know, Shah Jahan and uh, Aurangzeb, mm-hmm. uh, why, why these uh, rulers, uh, you know, were, had to engage in such terribly b- bloody battles is because any prince had the right to make a claim. Yes. So uh, part of the the point of this was to make sure that the most capable prince became Pacha. So in a sense, as you know, Munis Faruqi, the scholar, has shown, um, this was, uh, in fact, a very dynamic way of keeping the empire, you know, if you, in, in a sense, competitive. Uh, but yes... These sons were then meant, to, even while they were younger, meant to go out and rule territories and, uh, you know, get men to their cause. So they used to play all sorts of politics with the powerful courtiers to try and get them over to their side, which is very much what Salim, uh, before he became Jahangir, uh, what Salim did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, so he was always trying to, uh, you know, in a sense, undermine his father, which was his job as a prince if he wanted mm-hmm. to become Pacha. So he would undermine Akbar by taking over all the uh, courtiers and all the rulers and chieftains that Alwar found in a sense unacceptable. Mm-hmm. So Afghans, unruly Kashmiris, you know, all the men whom Akbar thought not fit to be part of his court, Salim would woo them and make them part of his entourage. And on that note, let's take a break. When we're back, we'll discuss Akbar's attitude to women, his attitude to his daughters, his rather fraught relationship with his sons, and his openness to different belief systems. So come back after the break to continue this conversation with Ira Mukoti, author of Akbar the Great Mughal. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. 